One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're so excited to have you guys along with us, those that are listening live, watching live on Zoom. Uh, we appreciate our audience very much. We love that you guys are hanging out with us. Uh, it's another typical week, right? Tons of travel. Uh, got caught up in, in the, the travel nightmare of Wednesday of all the storms and that kind of stuff. And it, that always just delays getting home, right? That whole work-life balance. Uh, I love go-home days. Uh, and, and normally nothing bothers me, but uh, when you get delayed that much. But uh, I, I'll tell you, I've got a whole new view of that. Um, and and we're, we're hoping to get Ed on the show. But I had a chance to visit with the CEO of Delta and he's just really, really impressive, man, um, in, in the things that he's done to the point that, you know, I, I'd stopped flying Delta years ago and, and now I'm back to being loyal. So uh, more to come on the show there uh, with him. I think it's going to be exciting to have around. But today, I'm super excited about our guest. We actually met um, through a PMI conference. I was asked to host uh, the, the virtual BA conference and a couple others that I did for PMI this year. And um, I believe she was our first guest on that full day, and she and I just hit it off. And, and I said, "You got to come to my show. We got to. We, we we only had like five ten minutes to talk, and I was like, we have got to expand this uh, conversation." So she is an internationally recognized leader known for helping mid career professionals start business analysis careers. She's the founder and CEO of Bridging the Gap, which is an online training organization which has helped thousands of analysts in dozens of countries and domains become change agents through analytical communication and mindset skill development. She's the author of the best-selling uh, book, How to Start a Business Analyst Career, which has sold thousands of copies worldwide. And she brings more of a decade of experience creating positive organizational change through business analysis. So prior to finding uh, or being the founder of Bridging the Gap in 2008, she created a 15-person team from the ground up, building practices in business analysis, project management, quality assurance, to ensure technology efforts to support the integration of five recently acquired companies, uh, developing basically delivering the anticipated return. So let's bring her onto the show, Laura Brandenburg. How you doing, Laura? Great. Thank you so so much for having me here today, Rick. It's an honor, and I love that conversation. And I'm excited to to expand upon it. <laughs> Absolutely, and we're catching you at a really good time because you're about to to head to Disney with with the family. I hear. So. Yes, yes. So the Friday before vacation. <laughs> oh wow, wow! So that's a good time. It could be right? a good time. Or- yeah, there you go. Could be a really good time to hit you, or you could already have been checked out and gone to uh, vacay. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, let's let's get get into it uh, <laughs> a little bit. Um, so when we start talking about change and changing organizations, which is a very difficult thing, um, mm-hmm. change is actually viewed very negatively often. And so, what does positive change really look like in your mind? So when I think about positive change and this is like, this is the thing I hold myself to as a business analyst, right? Am I doing something that's creating positive change for my organization? And uh, I think about solving a real problem, creating something that has, you know, a positive return on investment. But really, like when we're solving that problem, it's for, is it for that external customer, the partner? How does it affect our internal staff and tapping into all of those wants and needs and desires and and really making sure that 
what we're delivering in the end actually achieves what we initially needed it and wanted it to achieve. Because I think that's the kind of projects that people, I know when I was building teams like to work on, right? Like projects that actually have a real change at the end and, and solve the problem that they want to solve and have meaning in the big picture of what we're doing as an organization. So when we talk about business analysts, you know, uh, project managers get a lot of, uh, there's a lot of confusion as to, to what the title is, what they do, that kind of stuff. Business uh, analysis is the same because people think that your job is to document the procedures of the IT organization. And that's it's certainly not what you're doing. So give us a little just flavor of, of how you see a business analyst. Yeah, so typically, and there's a lot of confusion even between what a project manager does and what a business analyst does, right? And a lot of times we're wearing both hats. So I think a lot of project managers are business analysts in some in some cases are doing some business analysis. But in my mind, a business analyst is creating clarity out of ambiguity. And that starts with figuring out what that problem is to be solved. And it ends with figuring out all the details that that solution needs to meet like the specs of that solution in order to solve that problem. And that solution could be often there's a big software component to that, but it could be business process change. It could be setting up new teams and new roles. So kind of looking at all the components of that solution and making sure we have that understood, clarified, and that everybody involved understands what that looks like. And so it's also about, you know, making sure that we're asking better questions. Uh, Perfect. Perfect example. I was working with a client um, this week, and you know, one of their goals or priorities was they wanted to see an increase of twenty five percent of their their web traffic. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think that's what you're trying to solve, right? Because if that's what you're trying to solve, I can just put four interns into a room and we could just bang the website all day. <laughs> don't think that that's really what we're going after, right? I think what we're going after is what's our conversion rate, what's the average cost per sale, how do we increase that, right? It, and I think that it, that business analyst skill is really uh, crucial in getting into better questions and figuring out what it looks like when we win. Right. And I think that asking questions, it's, that's how you figure out the problem to be solved. Right. So there's a lot of times there's this expectation that the, when you said like the business analyst is just documenting the procedures that they just kind of know exactly what is supposed to go in the requirements, right. That they're just supposed to create them. And, you know, then we can get kind of annoyed as a, as a stakeholder, right. Oh, they, they have some more questions for me. Like it's not always immediately transparent. So that's like, that's part of the digging. Part of the digging is doing the analytical thinking and the using the analytical tools to discover where the gaps are in our thinking. And then part of it is then at going to the business community and even going to the tech community and asking those questions to get to that solid understanding as well. Yeah, I ended up using actually an Edison quote uh, this week where it says, you know, he's famous for saying 5% of the people think, 10% of the people think they think, and the other 85% would rather die than think. And and I've watched I've watched people ut- utilize the business analyst like, oh, we've got a BA, so we don't have to think anymore. And I'm sure that that's a frustration you run into quite a bit. Yeah. And how, you know, in my work training business analysts, I think that's one of the things that they find is the most frustrating too, is that people either like they don't want to make the decisions or they don't are, are resistant to the decisions or they don't think they're needed. Right. Like they don't think that 
yeah, oh, I can just skip that meeting because somebody else is going to figure that out. But then they get to the end and then they're frustrated that they weren't involved in those decisions and something else is decided, right? So kind of just that buy-in and decision-making process and getting that involvement in it is a big, big frustration definitely in our community. So getting back to the the changes themselves, right? So we talked about, you know, mm-hmm. a positive change and what he means. So um, why, why are companies so resistant to... Even, I mean, even if you're like, I'm going to deliver something that's a positive change, the first thing that will happen is tell you the 10 reasons why it won't work. Um, But uh, what keeps organizations really from going after those positive changes? What keeps organizations from going after them? Well, yeah, from creating positive, positive change. Yeah, I think what I see is in in a lot of my experience in, in organizations has been like there's too many potential ways to change, right? So like there's different senior leaders who want different things and are accountable for different things. And so it's that top down hierarchy. So inside a project, knowing what problem we're going to solve, but how does that support the strategy? How does that support all of the senior leaders in the organization? How does that roll up to what we're doing as a vision in our organization? And when you get that kind of traceability and clarity, then you can start to see where the changes are that are going to have the most impact. But when you're not clear on what your vision is for your company, what strategy you're putting in place, who you're trying to serve with what kind of project or product, um, then, you know, making this change on a little tiny IT project, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter in the big picture, right? And so you don't see that positive change. It just becomes change for change's sake, or it becomes, oh, this is change that will put me out of my job, right? And so then there's that resistance to it. So I think that's where we see um, why companies don't make that positive change. It's, that it's a clarity at that very, very high level that's needed to, to make that happen. And, and I think what you just said was very poignant as well, is that people tend to hold on because they think that change is... is and may, you know what? Maybe it should. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> certain roles should be eliminated. Um, but there's that fear that change is going to impact where I don't have a job. Yes. Um, and so then there's that block and pushback. Yeah, for sure. So what I want to get into here, we're going to take a break here in just a second. So I want to tease this out of you and get you thinking about it. Because um, with, with so many organizations going agile, um, uh, again, I see you know, one of the questions that we're always going after from an agile perspective is, are we working on the most important thing? But how do we know that that's the most important thing? And how do we know that you know we're aligning the work properly and we are going after the, the big change versus the little change? Um, mm-hmm. So what I'd be interested in, in getting into is, is understanding that level, knowing how uh, to, to decompose or, or where to even begin a process like that. Um, and we're going to do all of that once we come back from the break. But if you want the answer to that question, you have to come back after the commercials. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, 
train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes. R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget is now too expensive. And today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies, a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality, so you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management from CA. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. We're visiting with Laura Brandenburg. She is the founder uh, and CEO of Bridging the Gap, which is an online training organization uh, to help you with the very topic that we're talking about here. And it's really about uh, you know positive change with less stress, right? That's, that's what we're trying to talk about here. Um, and so right before the break, I teased into a question, you know, talking about, um, you know, how do, we, how do we measure the results? How do we know when we're done? in the surprising number of projects that are kicked off without understanding that. So do you have any kind of tips or, or guidelines for to, to help organizations through that piece? Yeah, and I think, um, so the how do you know when you're done, that's interesting because that's a question I used to always ask when I was interviewing BAs, like when are you actually done with your projects, right? And they would always, well, requirements are almost like never done. And I was like, those would be the those would be the times when I would be a little bit nervous, or actually very nervous about a hire. Right, somebody who couldn't see when was that project done, when were the requirements done for that project, and where that really starts. It doesn't start when you're working on what are the specific things we're going to do when we set up this CRM. What does this workflow look like? What data is going from here to there? Right, it starts from the scope of the project, the business objectives of the project. So. 
what are the measures? How are we going to evaluate success? What does success look like for this project? So it starts there because then you know when you're done because you've discovered, analyzed, and validated the requirements that will help us achieve that objective specifically. So I think how do we measure that, right? Is what what are the, it's gonna be different by project, but you need to have specific measures and targets that you're looking to achieve through your project. Otherwise you will have projects that just explode, explode in scope and are never really done and just kind of go on forever. Yeah, and the, and the projects that never get completed are, are things where the, the requirements themselves are unclear. So uh, um, I, I do a lot of, of questioning of my sponsors by saying, do we win? It's kind of my favorite little tactic. But So for instance, somebody will say, well, you know, I want this web page to, to load faster. Mm, okay, I need more information. They're like, it just needs to be faster. I said, well, I just made it 0.00001 seconds faster. Do I win? <laughs> they're like, no. Okay, so what does faster mean, right? I mean, it's like, what does the word mean mean? I, I was asked that in psychology class in, in, in college, right? What does the word meaning mean? But uh, we, we kind of have to get into that level of detail because, again, um, I, I think there's what confusion between... What does more sales between, mean, right? Same thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, like I made well, one more sale this month than last month. Is that enough? Yeah. Right. And so like I have, a, I have a client that's measuring like they want a 2% sales lift. And I was like, how do you know the difference between somebody got lucky with an order versus this is the actual change work that we're, that we're providing? Um, and, and I think, you know, having that business analyst break it down to where we say, um, really what we're meaning by improving the sales process is we're going to ge- generate 500 better leads per rep. All right. So what does a better lead mean? What information do they have now? What information do we need to give them? What are the systems that that are going to supply that? And are we ready to do that? Once we've rolled out the opportunity, though, we're done. Now, whether they go close more business because they had 500 better leads, that, that that's that's a, a, a outcome of the project. But it's not a, you know, well, we're not getting more sales, so we got to keep this project going. Right. And so that's where I do think um, in the ideal world, though, a lot of business analysts work on projects and they're kind of done when the project's done, right? But ideally, part of the project also includes rolling that out to the business. So not now we have those 500 leads, making sure that the sales team knows what to do with them. What are the business processes we're putting in place to make sure that those are leveraged? And how are we updating our sales process to handle that? And then also assessing the results of that project as a follow-up. So looking at things one month, three months down the road to see what improvements were actually made and were we hitting the targets that we thought we were. Um, and that's how you start to get, I know we started to touch on um, kind of accountability for the change, right? That's how you start to get accountability for what projects are actually tri- driving true positive change in an organization versus which ones are maybe pet projects or initiatives that aren't having that kind of global impact. Yeah, and, and so I, I bring all this up to bring it up to, so let's say an organization is brand new and, and they're saying they want to go agile. And, and the number one reason I hear people say they want to do agile is, well, it makes everything faster. No, 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 actually it doesn't make everything faster. But what it does is enable business value faster, right? So as we look at that MVP, normally we'd wait 18 months before the project's done and then we can start to operationalize that. Mm-hmm. We're looking to see if we can operationalize a portion of it within the first three months so that we're starting to generate value, even though we still have to complete the rest of the process. So the work is still the work. 
right? Mm-hmm. And I hear IT organizations struggle with this all the time going, well, if I'm loading 50 accounts or I'm loading 3,000 accounts, it works the same. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's, it's, there's an operational timeline that, that you have to work through. So having said all that, a lot of people are also switching to Agile because um, they're tired of missing projects, tired of missing deadlines. And so we see statistics about missing requirements on projects, how that leads to budget overruns and missed deadlines. Um, so how do we actually avoid missing these requirements in the first place? And, and by the way, just switching a methodology doesn't make it better. <laughs> okay, a lot there. But <laughs> So do we want to talk about agile or missing requirements? Let, let's like, do missing requirements because I think if you have an issue missing requirements today, switching to agile doesn't solve that problem. Right, especially switching to agile and getting rid of all your business analysts, right? Which or and project managers. <laughs> Both of us are out in this world, right? So. Yeah, and, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think so. When you talk about how do you avoid missing those requirements in the first place, this is where it is part analyst, right? It's part using different models. We talked about understanding the problem using the business process. That's part of it. It's also looking at it from a software lens. It's also looking at it from a data lens. So really applying a variety of techniques to look at those requirements from multiple perspectives. So a lot of organizations will have maybe one thread. Oh, we always create this kind of document. Well, incorporating some visual requirements and making sure you're looking at all those different layers and levels of the requirements so that you're getting a holistic view because you start to like the the pieces you miss from one view, you pick up from the other view. Um, And then the second piece on that is it's not just about creating those models, right? It's about ask using those models as a tool to discover well what don't we know and getting the stakeholder buy-in on on that process and reviewing and validating those models as you go so really creating that container where like this model isn't done just because the business analyst created it but it also needs to be reviewed by the business community and we need to make sure we have stakeholders from all the key departments involved and that they're involved in the way that makes sense for their knowledge their um the domain that they have expertise in. And that's, I think the, a lot of the gaps in missing requirements are, it's like a stakeholder that was missing, right? Or a stakeholder that was unengaged um, or somebody that didn't show up that day. And then you miss their input and their view on that lens of the requirements. And that has a ripple through effect um, on the rest of the requirements as well. Yeah, a lot of people, well, f- first of all, you need to clear up some confusion for me. So BAs don't create the requirements. That's not your job. Well, they I they they create, but not not the content, right? Like that's that's I think the the misnomer. Like you can't you can't create it in a vacuum. You analyze the requirements, but you use information from the stakeholder community to to really write and create those requirements. So they they need to be owned by the whole team, not just the business analyst. No, absolutely. I was just teasing you, but uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a of a of a word nuance there. <laughs> but but the point the point being is just it's almost like the Six Sigma craze, you know, from years ago that they said if you hired a master black belt that that you could save two million dollars operationally. But organizations like they would react like the person was supposed to bring the check with them. <laughs> you didn't know you have to change. You have to go through it. You have to do it. You can save that, but you have to physically change. And so probably give them the same thing information about what you do today too, right? So they can right, figure out right. the right problems to solve. <laughs> yeah. 
and, and and that's kind of the joke with you. Oh, we have a BA, so I don't need to go do that. I don't need right. to design this. I don't need to be a part of that because that's what the BA does. Right. right. It's it's that throwing over the wall um, kind of mentality that hurts. So now apply that. What what we were just saying about the stakeholders. We're talking about missing requirements. When we go agile. Um, there is a thought pattern that says, well, the business analyst slows it down or, you know, we don't need to do all these documents. Uh, I love the, we don't document anymore because we're agile. Um, mm-hmm. But but talk to me about, you know, the importance of the role in, in an agile world. Yeah. And I also, I'm not a proponent of like really big documents and over documentation, but there are tools like use cases and wireframes and specific data models that are not just documentation, they actually help you think better about the requirements. And when you start to express the tools or the the requirements using a technique like that, and you know how to use the technique in the right way, you see missing requirements that you don't see if you are just trying to patch together a bunch of user stories. So you need something, a tool or a technique, a way of looking at the requirements that helps you stitch everything together because that's when you start to see see the gaps. So definitely not a proponent though, of like just documentation for documentation's sake. And I know like in some cases, like requirements have become that, like we created this big thing, right? <laughs> so, but like inside that big thing, there's key pieces that really helped you figure out um, what the problem was we're solving and where the missing pieces were. And so I think as BAs, we need to hold ourselves to that standard of pulling those really important pieces out of that documentation and making sure those are reviewed. Um, so sorry, I got off on a little tangent there and I forgot your question. <laughs> no, no, that's good though. Cause I like that. Cause, cause I was immediately going to, you know, I have a project where um, they do wireframes, but they just mm-hmm. do it. They just do mockups in Excel. Yeah, And they say, well, here's our requirements, go do this. And so yeah. we produce it exactly like that. But they're like, wait a minute, this is supposed to link from here. This is supposed to come from this system. And I was like, well, none of that is being said here in the Excel document, right? We delivered what you gave us. right? Uh, but there's that assumption that we're supposed to know that. And that's where mm-hmm. I think those wireframes are really important. Right. The wireframe is a great visual tool because everybody can see, oh, this is what it's going to look like. But you need the use case or some sort of workflow diagram, something behind it to show how do these wireframes connect together and what happens like if you if something goes wrong. Right. So if you've got 10 fields and you only put in five, like what's the system supposed to do? Um, And that those are the things that come up as missing requirements when you don't specify them in advance. So. But you can still do all of that just in shorter increments in Agile, correct? I For mean, sure, yeah. You still use the same techniques. And someone is still doing it. So whether it's your developer kind of figuring it out as they put the code together, or it's your business user, your product owner putting that together. Somebody is figuring that out at some point in time, um, whether you're on an Agile team or a traditional one. So it never goes away as a need. It's just, I think in Agile, when you don't bring your BAs into the Agile team in some way, it ends up falling to to different roles. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? 
R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back on this edition of the Work-Life Balance. Sorry for the little technical snafu there. You know, it's amazing. We live in a world now where we can get Wi-Fi in an airplane but can't get a reliable connection to the house always. Either that or, or we've determined the children are playing Fortnite again and we need to stop that. So we're back with Laura. And uh, you, you can find out more about Laura by visiting uh, bridgingthegap.com. So that's www.bridging and then a dash, the-gap.com. And uh, you can find out about more you know more about her more about this thing and actually some free training out there um and so as we start talking about the role of, of business analysis how do we how do you build a really good practice first of all culturally and then obviously begin to mature that uh, for an organization yeah a lot of the organizations that i've worked with you know there's obviously organizations that have very mature business analysis practices and communities of excellence and all that But a lot of times when you're starting a new practice, you don't know who's a business analyst yet, right? They might be all over the company. They might have multiple different titles. 
They might be doing, some might be product owners, some might be business subject matter experts, some might be more technical professionals, kind of doing the kinds of things that we talked about of analyzing processes, use cases, data models, that kind of thing. And so I think the first thing is just to look at who is doing business analysis in your organization today. And a lot of times the individuals that I find, like there's still individuals today who've been doing this role for years and like. I didn't realize there was a profession. I didn't realize that other people in the world did this. I thought it was like this special little role that I figured out, right? So just exposing people to the fact that there are industry standard best practices, that there is a profession, that there is um, resources that they can draw on to start to leverage those practices across the organization, I think is a very good first place to start. So what do you look for? So you're, 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 you're hiring your, your master team now. Yeah. What What do you really look for in a good business analyst? Yeah, you look for, it's this combination of communication skills and analytical abilities, right? So it's, how am I thinking through the problem? So kind of giving them scenarios that would help you see what they're going to be the person that finds the gaps, right? That is thinking through things and asking the questions ahead of time so that, uh, you know, we don't miss those requirements like we talked about. So you're looking for that problem solving ability, that analytical ability, that ability to find gaps, ask questions that are intelligent, even if they're not clear about the domain, Um, being able to ask questions that might seem like the dumb questions, right? So when they're the person in the room that knows the least about the domain, being able to ask those questions and really get to a level of clarity, um, even in an unfamiliar area. And then obviously being able to communicate with stakeholders, we talked about how important that buy-in process and the decision-making and how business analysts don't create the requirements, right? So they need to ask those questions. And that takes a lot of relationship building and communication and finesse to be able to work with a wide variety of people from all different levels of the organization. So, so those are some of the key areas that you're looking at. And are, are you familiar with this profiles and, and kind of how they breed out? I am, Yeah. So, because I, I heard I tendency and I heard C tendency, which are on the opposite edges of each other. Like one Yeah, is, that's interesting. One of the best BAs I ever had was an IC. I'm a, D, I'm a DC. DC. <laughs> or so, CB, kind of depending on the, the context. But. And I could see the C portion, right? It's certainly the thoroughness, likes yeah. to get into the details, likes to understand, likes to be valued. Um, at, the, at the same time, that relationship side, right? So, if we know some off-the-chart Cs that, that, that don't always – possess the, the, um, what word am I looking for? It's, it's not couth, but you know, they, they're, they're not ticking everybody off right? <laughs> essentially at the end of the day. Um, so, so it would be somebody with high C skills. And if you had like ID side, that that's something that you'd be pinpointing. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. Um, I, my eye is actually pretty low though. So that's interesting. <laughs> and, and, but here's here's From a the personal perspective. Yeah. yeah. And see, I'm off the charts, right? So I, I'm sure <laughs> I, I'm your idea guy, but yeah, I don't. You, you, but you your C is probably. <laughs> oh, I have no C. Yeah. My wife, my wife and me, both of us, which means there's no rules in our household. Everybody just does whatever they want. So, <laughs> but 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 now we understand why at least, which is a good thing. But. Yeah. Um, so, but I, the reason that? I'm struggling with that is because I see, I think, is a relatively uncommon combination. It's very right? uncommon. Yeah, yeah, and so you're more likely to have a CD with maybe a 
some, some supporting eye. And so it's not that you have to like crave being with people. Um, you have to have that acumen of how to deal with people, right. And how to communicate with people and how to ask questions. So I think the C piece from that perspective is probably more important. Um, you can't, you can't be the guy that ticks everybody off. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's me too though. So that's, <laughs> um, but you do, you do well at it, right? Oh, uh, sure. Sure. So how do you, so talk to us about career path maturity of, of, of a practice like that. What do you, what do you look for with a client to help them chart what their growth ought to be? Yeah. Um, typically like that first phase is who's doing what, right? Who's who, where are all the people that are doing this kind of work? Where does it show up in our projects, in our business? And then starting to look at alignment about the, the structure. How do we approach a project? Because often once you start to do that, you see everybody's kind of got their own templates, their own ways of doing things. And then as you start to, you know, when, when people on a business community work with different BAs, it feels like a very different thing. So starting to standardize what the process looks like to do business analysis, what kinds of templates we use. There's often varieties for different kinds of projects, but you can start to just at least get some baselines in place. Um, and that's kind of that next level of maturity of just looking at the process. And then from there, you can start doing fun things like measuring the success of that practice, right? And optimizing and improving and looking at best practices across what's working specifically in your projects and what's not. Um, and some of the benchmarking that we were talking about too for, for projects as a whole. And so do you claim the project benchmarks as, as kind of your leading indicators or are there indicators that you can use to measure the effectiveness of your business analysts? So project benchmarks like budget and time? Or achieving value or all those different yeah. things that, that you look at. I mean, again, yeah. how I think do you measure? The business analyst, you're looking at what... You're looking at did we achieve what we needed to achieve? Did we achieve solve that real business problem? But you're also looking at the, that ch change in churn in the requirements, right? So there's some churn that happens because you're taking something that's like very unclear and you're creating clarity out of it. And that's not necessarily a linear path, but then there's the churn that happens after we've said we've got an agreement on everything, right? And then, and then there's like unnecessary change. So it really is, it's, it's a challenging thing to measure. It's not something I've helped an organization with personally myself, but you do want to be careful of what you're measuring because there is that ambiguity in the, when you're tasking somebody with the role of, of clarifying ambiguity, it's not like you can just say, oh, the quicker they do it, the better. They might do it really quickly, but they might get the completely wrong answer and you end up solving the wrong problem. So you want to look at what they're actually accomplishing in that. And so is that the elevator speech of a BA? Do you have an elevator speech of, you know, when somebody says, what is it that you do as a BA? Do you, do you have yeah. an elevator speech? I do. I have what, my what manifesto. It? It's uh, out of order. We create, no, out of chaos, we create order out of, I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> out of ambiguity, we create clarity, but most of all, we create positive change for the organizations we serve. I like that. I like that. We, uh, I just went with uh, project managers make dreams come true. That's you, you can have an idea, thought about it, or whatever. The the PM is the one that enables that. So, yeah. um, 
but yeah, because it, it it's always interesting when somebody you know, somebody how do you not sound like Office Space when you know somebody goes so what is it that you do here? <laughs> you know, well, I, take I the create documents so that the tech engineers <laughs> don't have to talk to the customers, right? Like that is like that is the definition of a business analyst, right? I'm a right. <laughs> <laughs> I've always I've always loved coming back to that that movie. So, so is it your requirements? No, I'm a people person, right? So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, we're actually going to take our final break right here. We're going to be right back with Laura Brandenburg, where she's going to ask the question, uh, answer the question that we ask every one of our guests. We'll do that right after the break. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Mark Morris. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget is now too expensive. And today's innovation is tomorrow's antique. Which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously. While always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile. And there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies. A complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality so you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management from CA. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back for our final segment of the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. We've been visiting, visiting with Laura Brandenburg. And Laura, how do people get in touch with you? 
Sure. So um, the best way is through my website at bridgingthegap.com. And like you mentioned earlier, it has those hyphens. And you can also email me at laura at bridgingthegap.com if you have questions or any anything you want to talk about with business analysis. It's my thing. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the questions we like to ask every one of our guests is, what's some of the best advice you've ever received? Yeah, I the best advice I ever received in my career, I had a coach tell me, if you're not replaceable, you're not promotable. And I think it's good advice for us to think of for our stakeholders. And it's also just something I've continuously, like, how can I replace myself? Um, And it's something I do now in my business. I'm constantly looking for where can I bring somebody in to do a piece so that I can do something bigger and grow the business and, and make it more expansive and expand our impact. So. I love that. It, it, it ties right into servant leadership as well and making sure that you're really growing leaders underneath you to, to make sure that you can, you know, move up to the next layer. And it, and it kind of goes to that. Like, I think when people get into fear about their jobs, their te- attend- natural tendency is to like, I'm going to hoard all the information Right, like, and then nobody will ever get rid of me, right? And I think obviously the opposite is usually true. Like, the more you can share that, the more you can create. Like, you are ready to then step into the next opportunity. Yeah, I've, I had experience with that early in my career. In fact, one of my first titles ever was they they called it EIC, which was Engineer in Charge. And I was like, wow, that's <laughs> that's that's great for a business card, but you know, all of the metrics and billing and all the stuff that, that I had to do to manage this account, um, I, I would take care of. And then I would get frustrated that I couldn't take a vacation or whatever without, you know, my phone ranking. Um, so when I learned to push all of that down and really enable everybody, I mean, everything was kind of self-running <laughs> to the <laughs> point where they were like, well, it's time to take you and, and move you on. And that was that first time that I saw by truly enabling my staff that, that you know, basically they're pushing me up versus me trying to to, to climb my way up. Um, yeah. So I, and myself too, you mentioned in the intro about creating that team. Like I started as a business analyst, right. And then I needed to do, we needed to do all these things. And so it was because I could figure out how to bring in other people to do those things that I was able to move into that director level role. It was an organic process. So you, you couldn't like the, you couldn't do it unless you could find somebody else that could do what you were so comfortable doing. And it was a really, really hard transition for me. I'll say um, yeah. from being the person who knew all the details to, to being in more of a manager level role. Yeah. So how long did it take you to make that transition that you kept fighting yourself of, of getting in there? I had a boss that pushed, pushed, pushed me to it. It probably would have taken me a few years on my own, but in that company, um, you know, it was more of a six to 12 month process. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we close out today? Yeah, I think just, you know, we talked a lot about business analysis and change and different aspects of business analysis here. And I'm just grateful for that opportunity to do that. This is my passion. These are my people. This is my purpose. And to be on a show like this and have the opportunity to talk about that with a wider community and address some of the misconceptions and things that come up on projects, right? Uh, and, and just be able to talk about that. I just really appreciate that opportunity. And and thank you, Rick, for, for doing what you're doing. Uh, with oh, the show thank here. you. 
Yeah. Oh, we appreciate you being being aboard. You know, it's it's later where you are than where it is I am. So you're sacrificing now a little of your own work life balance to get that <laughs> message out. We certainly appreciate that. Yeah. So Laura, we we appreciate you again. Visit bridging the gap. There's hyphens, so it's bridging bridging hyphen the hyphen gap dot com. And you can reach out to Laura and find out more about her. Coming up next week, we're going to have Randy England and Alfonso Bucaro, uh, or Bucaro, uh, on, on the show. They're, they're fantastic individuals, uh, a lot of deep knowledge in project management. They've got a lot of stuff that they want to come on and, and share with us and, and some of the research and things that they're seeing and doing with executives. Um, so we're excited about that. Uh, the week after that... Um, we're actually going to be doing a, a solo show. So I'll be diving in on some of the latest things that we've been learning. Um, and then uh, looking forward as well to February 15th, we're going to have the Daryl Rivers. That's uh, I was just in Daryl's uh, wedding a, a few weeks ago. So the stories I was telling about that Texas wedding, that, that's this gentleman. And uh, he's, a, he's a former uh, Detroit uh, SWAT and, and, and police officer that, that does de-escalation training. Uh, now, but he's just got some phenomenal stories, incredible life story, uh, and, and an overall just fantastic person to know. So we're excited to have Daryl on the show. Um, as always, you can visit us at rsquaredconsulting.com. You can find me at rickamorris.com. We can find us on Twitter, Facebook, all of those other wonderful things. And please also take a moment to visit the Mickey Mouse Club reunion.com. Uh, we're hosting that in May 19th in Orlando the official 30-year reunion. Some of the people that have been on the show uh, that, that are part of that club is, is going to be there in person. Um, and it looks like uh, looks like we're, we're going to be merged or blending with Megacon that's going on in Orlando there. So there's more details to come, uh, but we're really excited about that opportunity. But we are uh, knocking that down May 19th. So we'd love for you to be out there with us. As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us here on the Work-Life Balance, listening to us. Uh, look, the tweets and, and emails and, and things that I get, I absolutely love them. Keep them coming. Um, I love interacting with anybody who's out there, uh, you know, listening to the show, downloading the podcast. Uh, let us know what you think. And we're going to have a super exciting announcement coming up in March um, about some some things that we're being asked to do. Um, I can't release that until uh, probably around March 14th. Um, but we're going to be teasing that out for a little bit. Some really exciting announcements, not only for this show, but for the, the, the future of what we're doing. So with all that, we're going to give you Friday, and hopefully you are protecting your own work-life balance. You've been listening to Rick Morris. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.